the Bob Newhart Show. Won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to the Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about presumed, presumed innocent. innocent. Is he innocent or not, Jim? I presume so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great movie. So interesting because up until this point, you haven't really seen Harrison Ford as a vulnerable guy. No, no, no. Man, that that, that slow reveal of just how obsessed he is with her. It's movies like... Great. Yeah, oh, my God. And yeah. it's movies... You're absolutely right. And it's movies like this... And like Mosquito Coast and mm-hmm. Frantic, that really proves that he's such a good actor. Oh, he's a great actor. Absolutely and great actor. they always discount him, grumbly grumbles. But <laughs> he is an exceptionally good actor. Well, it, it, it reminded me a lot of, and this is the first time I'd seen it. I've never, I don't believe I've ever seen this before we started covering it. But I, it reminded me a lot of those moments during the Indiana Jones movies when he was explaining things. <laughs> and that was always my favorite part because he was always like, you know, I mean, the action's great. But it was always him like, I know what I'm talking about yeah. and I'm doing this. Yeah. And I, you know, and it's like, it, it, it was, he's so good in this movie. Right. And he, you know, he's playing a guy who is a victim of circumstance. And yeah. And and it's great because you don't. All right, I'm going to point this. I'm going to just say this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this movie's what? Third, 20, 30 uh, years old. Thirty-three years 33 old. Years? Okay, there's a thirty-three-year-old movie. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. We're going to spoil it. Yeah, there are a lot of spoilers coming. Can't up. really talk about this without <laughs> no. spoiling the movie. No, no. So if you if 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 you've been saving this yeah. <laughs> for thirty-three years, now. this might be the good time to pop the cork. Now is the time. Watch it before the show because we're we're not holding back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say, I just a broad general uh, thought about the movie, having not seen it. They don't really make movies like this anymore. No, they don't. And it's a shame. These kind of slow burn courtroom yeah. movies or these mysteries, it, they are so, I don't know how to say it. It's like comfort food in a way. I mean, yeah. I like yeah. to sit there and get engrossed in a story yes. and yes. engage. Maybe because there's so much... You know, reality TV about forensic files and yeah, courts and yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you say, like, slow burn, and then immediately people will be turned off. But I was never not engaged during this movie. It no. was it, it just grabbed me the whole time, and it was fascinating. Really great performances, not only by Harrison Ford. I think it's Bonnie Bedelia's greatest oh, performance. Oh, my gosh. So understated. So good. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you watch the film again, yeah. and, I, and I, I've seen the film a few times, it's been... Probably a couple of decades. A while, since I've seen yeah, it. yeah. But I wanted to watch it this time, kind of paying attention to her performance. Yeah, uh, knowing what the ending yeah, is. Yeah, and wow, I mean, it, there I, are so many subtle, yeah, little tidbits. I, I will say, if you don't know the ending, and I didn't, I was totally shocked and su- surprised by the end. Oh, they did a like, great job. It just, just to, out of to me, it felt like out of left field, but it wasn't. Right. But it, it was just like, oh my god, like this really happened. Okay, let's just get this out of the yeah, way. Okay, let's. <laughs> uh, Harrison Ford is accused of murdering. Uh, his name is Rosette. Ross. Rusty. <laughs> Rusty. He goes by Rusty. Yeah, but what? Scott Turow had a thing with weird names. What in the hell, Scott Turow? <laughs> what a great. But all of the names. Savage. Polemus. 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 Yeah. Uh, and they all of them, all of them were just super weird. El Guardia. It just makes me makes me wonder if it was like people he went to college with, I or like know. law school with. I don't. Uh, this, I'm, this is my gripe, <laughs> but I just don't understand. I, 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 you're a writer, sure. Yes. Some people would I, accuse like me to, of being a writer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
I don't see the purpose of having overly complicated names. No. In stories. I, I mean, I always find names that have some meaning sure. to the character or to the story. Mm, snooty. I mean, I try to, <laughs> uh, but I don't know. That obviously is not the case with this because they're just the most random, bizarre names. It's bizarre. Names are weird. I had a writing partner, uh, and we wrote several scripts together. Great guy. Loved writing with him. But he had this weird quirk where he didn't like any names to have the same letter. So you couldn't have a Joe and a Jim. Oh, okay, I see. Or a John and a Jonica. Like or a Gerald and or Gerald is G. Or a Gerald and a Giselle. Do you never wrote something with more than twenty six characters? <laughs> well, we had to. What would you do? We had Quatziello and uh, <laughs> Xavier had, and, and Xylophone. Xylophone, yeah. And Yolanda. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, we had to keep our our character list low. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, anyway. The point is, the movie is fantastic, and I yes. highly recommend it. And uh, we'll get into all the wonderful characters and actors and all that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, so take yourself back to 1990. Ooh. Uh, April 16th, a bidding war for the screen rights to Shane Black's The Last Boy Scout begins at $875,000, offered by 20th Century Fox. By the next evening, Carol Code TriStar had offered $2 million, but Black opted to produce it with Warner Brothers, making his $1.75 million payday the most expensive expensive script purchase ever up to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Black was changing the game. Yeah. He put writers on the map. Yeah. Nobody oh, knew yeah. who a writer yeah. was. Nobody cared who the writer was. No. For the most no. part. Occasionally, you'd get a great novelist. Who I mean, would... you get you would get the guys, kind of like, there's a couple guys in here that won a lot of Academy Awards for their writing, and they would always be the guys you go to of like, oh, I want the, the awards guy. You yeah, know? yeah, sure, but, sure. But, but nobody was getting paid like this. Also, he was a celebrity writer. Yeah. There wasn't yeah. a lot of celebrity writers. Right. You didn't right. know who's, you know, you right. knew William Goldwyn, you knew different guys, but it yeah. wasn't like, who's this guy? And how much is he getting paid? And he's a bad boy. Yeah, yeah. And all the, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he was the first real celebrity writer. And it also, this was around the time, too, that Hollywood was getting very nervous about these paydays. Yeah. And, and it, I, I know I've gone on this conspiracy <laughs> rant before with The Last Action Hero, but again, yeah. this movie was not very good. The Last Boy Scout. Yes. Yes. And it the script seemed like it was Shane Black-ish. I don't know if they brought in somebody to do rewrites. I don't or know. Or if he was just so yeah. bitter out of the because his experience Lethal with Lethal Weapon 2 that he <laughs> yeah. just wrote this really bitter script with a bunch of incredibly unlikable characters. He wanted to go dark, and he did, and it didn't really work. No, because you you can go as dark as you want, but you've got to like the characters. Yeah. and. Yeah. Bruce Willis's character was hateable. Damon Wayans Jr.'s character was oh, hateable. All of them. His daughter all was super... I, I hate to... Look, this actress is great, and she was great playing the part. Yeah. But they did not do this young girl any favors right. by giving her this right. awful, smart-ass, you know, just <laughs> hateable part. Everybody in it, except for maybe Holly Berry, and I don't think she lasted very long. I think she got no. murdered in the beginning. No. But yeah, I mean, this was kind of the beginning... And then the beginning of the end of these giant paydays. I mean, look, $2 million isn't a big deal anymore. No. Movies no. are $100 million. I think it's like, I think the $40 million is about 3% of the budget goes yeah. to script. Yeah. So if you're making a $300 million movie, yeah. you're probably paying out. I'd, be, I'd be surprised if, if the writers were getting paid that much. I Some are. But if uh, you're a known writer, yeah. 
You are, but I, yeah. I, but I there's still... a reason that the Marvel Universe uses people you've never heard of. Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, they're good and they write well, but they they purposely find new talent because they don't have to pay them as much. So stupid. I it's know. the most important thing, really. I know. Without a script, you don't have a movie. I, without, without a good a... script, you don't have a good movie. You cannot. No, agreed. You can make a decent movie from a good script and sure. a bad director yes. and, and not great actors, but you cannot make a good movie with a good director, good actors, and a bad script. No, if it's a bad script, that foundation is just crap. That house crumbles to the ground, <laughs> it does, baby. It does. But speaking of a good script. Yeah, yeah. Uh, April 21st, Yoshi Utani murders a gold merchant and businessman in Finland, having convinced them to buy a non-existent 500-kilogram stash of Nazi gold. Tani stands by his story that he was a chauffeur for a German named Hans who murdered the two men, despite the fact that Tani and his wife both hid the bodies and admitted it. Okay, okay, okay. look. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was a German named um, Hans. Yeah, yeah. And Franz? No, yeah. just Hans. Uh, it wasn't my wife and I, even though we buried the bodies. Uh, it's There's so much more to this. I did such a deep dive on this guy <laughs> because he tried to get the money when he was in jail. He got pardoned in 2006. Uh, the Finnish president pardoned him, even though he murdered two people. Finland's, have you ever been to Finland? No. It's weird. It's awesome. It's one of the most beautiful cities. Yeah. And when I went in Countries, the late yeah. It's one of the most yes, <laughs> countries. I was thinking of Helsinki. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. Because that's where I, I was. mean. What, where else do you go in Finland? Yeah, exactly. Like, a lot of snow, <laughs> yeah, snow farmland in Finland, <laughs> in uh, Helsinki. Um, and when I went, because mm-hmm. I, I I went there uh, before and after my trip to communist Russia. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the time, and this is the late eighties. It was so technologically advanced. Like the oh, really? Had computers in them. Oh, wow. And almost like a navigation system, as it were. Oh, wow. It was just like, it was like being in the future. And granted, <laughs> when you come from Russia, and it was communist Russia. Right, right. Uh, where I lost like 20 pounds because all I could eat was the black bread and cheese. <laughs> oh, uh, gross. It, it's not their fault, but the food was... was- it was communist Russia, man. Yeah, yeah, They were giving yeah. us the best stuff they had, and it was still awful. <laughs> they figured if they just had us chug vodka the entire time maybe we wouldn't anyway so like when we got back to finland we uh we were so hungry all of us that we decided to go to pizza hut for dinner because they had all the fast food places yeah 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 but on the way to pizza hut we stopped at mcdonald's (laughs) and then we stopped at a hot dog stand oh god and then we stopped at another burger stand oh wow and then made it to pizza Hut and still ate like three pizzas wow i must have had 14,000 calories that <laughs> night, and it still was. It was the That's most glorious crazy. eating time. I, it it nice. was like being starving on an island, and then, like, yeah. you know, I, I know what uh, Tom Hanks felt like when he <laughs> got off the island. Yeah. Uh, July 2nd, a U.S. district court acquits Imelda Marcos on racketeering and fraud charges. Oh, Imelda. Did you? I used to uh, go to the East West Players. I have so many anecdotes about your, yeah. about hey, your beginning. Yeah. Hey, why I put them all in, man. Uh, but I used to go, there's a theater in Los Angeles called the East West Players, mm-hmm. and it's a predominantly Asian, Asian Pacific mm-hmm. theater. I had a friend who did a lot of work there, and they put on Imelda, the musical. Oh, really? And oh, baby. I think uh, George Takai was in it. Oh, nice. Because all the, uh, the the greatest you know, Asian, Asian Pacific actors yeah, yeah. belong to the theater group. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if it's still around. I hope it is. It is. It um, is. Saw a lot of really great productions there, but this was so good. Like, it nice. really. Nice. She had a lot of shoes, man. She did. She, she spent most of her money on shoes. And guess what? 
They didn't learn their lesson. No, they didn't. Guess who's in charge? Yeah, now. little son. little baby Marcos. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Anyway, that's gonna go good. <laughs> July twenty fifth, presumed innocent premieres in Los Angeles. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so presumed innocent starts with Scott Turow, a lawyer turned novelist. Yeah, so many of those. John Grisham, <laughs> Turow. Uh. Uh, Turo was born in Chicago, attending New Trier High School and graduating from Amherst College in 1970 as a brother of the Alpha Delta Phi Literary Society. Uh, my roommate, my freshman year in college, went to New Trier High School. Was he part of the Alpha Delta Phi? He was a dick. Okay. <laughs> I did not like him at all. So not a writer. <laughs> nope. Uh, he was, he got way too obs- obsessed with his frat. Oh. And that every time I called it a frat, he'd get real mad. Oh, yeah, because you don't call your country up. Uh, the really sad thing about him is that uh, he was their pet because Ooh. he was in a Catholic fraternity and he was Jewish. Yikes. And they treated him like a pet. Ugh. And it was sad. That is sad. But it was the proudest moment of his life, man. Well, anyway. I never understood. I'm going to give us a speed bump. Yeah. I never understood fraternities. And and Same. look, this is me not understanding all of you fraternal brothers and, sure, and sure. sorority sisters out there. Please, enlighten us on, on, on yeah. the wonderful... Uh, uh, Community service and companionship and all of that. Yeah. But it just seemed like groupthink to me. Yeah. And I, there's no way I was going to let somebody, you know, stick stuff in my butt and make yeah, me do things no. to try to join some silly social yeah. club. This is how you're going to be my friend. Yeah. <laughs> We're all going to beat you for this three why, weeks. This is why. Okay. Soapbox City, one second. Sure, okay. Sure. I think that the fraternal system and the hazing system and that BS mm. is why so many Politicians are cruel. Oh yeah, because yeah. they are part of a oh yeah culture of cruelty, and oh, they yeah. they feel like cruelty and pain and humiliation is the only way to somehow it, become something. I don't know. It's, it's their baseline. Like that's that's what they relate to. Ugh, yeah. God, well, hey, happened to me. Going to happen to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. people who are abused uh, either become abusers or become extremely offended by abuse. Hurt people, hurt people, or hurt people, help people. If they come up, get over their hurt, I yes, hopefully, but mostly hurt people, hurt people. I know. Yeah. Uh, so Scarturo received an Edith Merrilies Fellowship to Stanford University's Creative Writing Center, which he attended from 1970 to 1972. Nice. Uh, he later became a Jones lecturer at Stanford, serving until 1975 when he entered Harvard Law School. The Jones he picked. Was Chuck Jones. Because you have to pick a Jones to study and talk about. Can you name one other Jones? Well, there's Jim Jones. Um, He was popular. This was a little bit. Well, I mean. He was just coming around. They weren't. This was before. This was before he killed everybody. Well, no, no. I mean, he was very popular when the cult was active. (laughs) Sure. Before he, quote, unquote, killed everybody, Adam. Conspiracy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They're all still down there. Just living their happy lives. Yeah. Uh, so in 1977, Turo wrote 1L, a book about his first year at law school. Yeah, I had a girlfriend who went to law school, and the 1L, 2L, 3L thing drove me crazy. Yeah. Uh, 1Ls are another term for first years at Harvard Law School. I, I think it's in general law school everywhere. Uh, Harvard Law School only accepts 12% of applicants, so the competition in the first year is very high. Ooh, snooty snoots. The book has become a perennial bestseller, read by many students as they prepare for their first year in law school. Uh, and as recent as 2007, the last stats I could get, uh, a story in the Wall Street Journal, 1L continues to sell 30,000 copies a year. You ever thought about going to law school? Jim? think about it no absolutely not my mom thought about it a lot for me i i did uh in when ap 
either European history class or U.S. history class. I think it was AP European history class in my freshman or sophomore year in high school. Uh, because you take the AP test, then you've got like another week. And then yeah. supposedly you have quote unquote finals. And so for the finals, he literally gave us like five questions off the bar exam. And the fact that the multiple choice options were literally twice as long as the question. <laughs> I was like, never, ever, ever am I ever going to go to law school. A lot of stuff to learn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I thought about it like for a second. Yeah. But then I couldn't. I could not knowingly represent somebody I thought was guilty. Yeah, yeah, I, it, yeah. There's it's too much gray area. I have I, too many yeah. morals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. have too much grit. Uh, <laughs> so the book One L challenged the Socratic method and made people think critically about how the law was being taught in the classroom. Uh, Harvard no longer uses the Socratic method to teach law because they realized that students were not learning to their full potential under that structure. It is. Uh, it's an old method. <laughs> <laughs> I, but it's the fact is is that they wouldn't have changed it without this book. No, and I, it did need yeah. to be changed because it's like the Socratic method works for certain areas of study. Yeah, but this yeah. is a very you're talking about people's lives, and it's also yeah, yeah. it's it's not so cut and dried. You know, there's not no no technically no. one answer to everything. So even much though gray. It's, the law, yeah. it's just yeah. it's nuts. Everything's gray. So after earning his Juris Doctor degree, cum laude, in 1978, Turo became an assistant U.S. attorney in Chicago, serving in that position until 1986. Just cum laude, not magnum cum laude? No, no, just cum laude. There, he prosecuted several high-profile corruption cases, including the tax fraud case of State Attorney General William Scott. Turo was also lead counsel in Operation Greylord, the federal prosecution of judicial corruption cases in Illinois. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Jim, but corruption's real bad in Illinois. What? <laughs> All the time. Corruption? Yeah. They've had more governors uh, be arrested for corruption than I think most other states combined. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like, like, it's crazy. What was that yeah. guy? Blazinski or whatever who's selling? Yeah. Uh, Obama's oh, yeah. seat? Oh, yeah, seat, yeah. I mean, it, it goes all the way Blagovitz back. Blagovitz or Blausovitz? Blagovitch. Blagovitch. yeah. Blagovitch? Blagovitch? Blagojevich, that's what it Blagojevich. is. Blagojevich. Rod Blagojevich. Got there. It took a long road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's... They've been, they, all the way back to the 20s and 30s, they've just been corrupt as hell. That's why you gotta do it the Chicago way. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there was a reason that there was a lot of mafia. They yeah. bring a knife, you bring a gun. So after the, the leaving the U.S. Attorney's Office, Turo turned to writing full-time. His 1987 novel, Presumed Innocent, had first attracted film producers a year before it was published. That's awesome. How does that happen? I don't know. I mean, I thought I, I tried to find information on this, and, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm assuming he knew people. Well, he was also uh, already an established writer because of 1L. He, because of 1L. He was, and plus he was on some pretty big cases, so, like, it, I'm sure he was, he was on the radar. On, well, yeah. Plus, at that time... Everybody was looking at books for movies. Yeah, I yes, mean, every, yes. Jaws. Yeah, everything was adaptation. Uh, yeah, they were all great. Novels. Everything just Jaws. Just Jaws. Everything, that was else, it. everything else was. But yeah. no, I mean, they always were mining the literary world to yeah. find out what was coming out, and they wanted to beat the guys to the punch. Right. So right. a lot of times, just on the reputation of the writer, yeah, they would start bidding. Well, and it's it's a it's a lawyer who's writing a thriller, like right. a political or not political, a, a, a judicial thriller. Like it's it's like this is going to be good. Some you politics know. in it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Oh, that's true. There mm -hmm. is actually. Yeah. yeah there is. There is politics in it. That's true. 
so the film rights were the subject of a bidding war among the host of established studios and producers. David Brown and Richard D. Zanuck made the first bid of $75,000. Seems low. It does. It does. Uh, Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer initially offered $300,000 financed by Paramount Pictures, but backed down when the bids climbed to $750,000. Ten times stupid Zanuck and Brown's number. Yeah, exactly. Peter Guber and John Peters and Sidney Pollock and Mark Rosenberg of Mirage Enterprises made $1 million bids of their own money. Uh, MGM and Erwin Winkler also made bids while Universal Pictures passed on the project. Now, this is just for rights. This isn't him writing the screenplay. No, no. This is just for rights of the book. This is literally just so they can make it. And yeah. it's amazing that it went from an initial bid of seventy-five k to a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. So after Pollock and Rosenberg acquired the rights in December of 1986, United Artists negotiated with the producers to finance and distribute the film. Uh, a little bit about Sidney Pollock. Uh, I love Sidney Pollock. Sidney Pollock's amazing. One of the greatest, most understated character actors. Yes, yes. Everything I, he's in. And amazing character actor, amazing director, yep. amazing producer. Yep. Like, he is just was the whole package. I loved him so much. Oh, him playing the agent in Tootsie. Yeah. Uh, he was in a few Harrison Ford movies, I yeah, think. Yeah. Uh, he's just got that realism to him. Yeah. Practic- he's a practicality so to his acting yeah. that is it's incomparable. I don't know anybody else that I can compare to. No, no. He directed more than 20 films and 10 television shows, acted in over 30 movies or shows, and produced over 44 films. For his 1985 film Out of Africa, Pollock won the Academy Award for Best Director and Best Picture. Good flick. Yeah, great. Robert Redford, yeah. Meryl Streep. He was also nominated for Best Director Oscars for They Shoot Horses, Don't They, in 1969, and Tootsie in 1982. I think, was Redford and They Shoot Horses? I they? believe so, yes. I, I Don't quote me on that. I have not seen it in a long time. It is. I watched it during college. It's about uh, dancing marathons. It was incredible. It's an yeah. incredible movie. And they do. They, they do, do shoot horses, horses yeah. 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 Uh, some of his other directing efforts include Jeremiah Johnson in 1972, starring Robert Redford, the screenplay by John Melius. I'm sure all of you have seen the meme oh, yeah. of Robert Redford with his big old burly beard in the snow turning <laughs> and smiling. That's from Jeremiah Johnson. Oh. <laughs> the Way We Were in 1973, starring Barbara Streitzand and Robert Redford. God, he and Redford worked together all, all the time. time. Yeah. he was. It was nominated for six Academy Awards, winning for Best Score and Best Original Song. Good movie. Three Days of the Condor in 1975, starring Robert Redford, Faye Dunaway, Cliff Robertson, and Max von Sydow, and was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Editing. I love that movie. Three Days I haven't of the seen Condor. a long oh, time. So, like, yeah. That's another genre that they yeah. don't do, like Parallax View and Three, yeah. men, uh, three men and a Baby. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> political thriller, Three Men and a Baby. Three Days of the Condor, Parallax View, All the President's Men. Yeah. yeah. You know, these kind of like governmental investigative spy right, kind of right. oh so good uh, and he also did The Absence of Malice in 1981 starring Paul Newman Sally Field Wilford Brimley Melinda Dillon and Bob Balaban and was nominated for three Academy Awards oh my god another amazing courtroom drama I, he is just an Academy Awards machine like, tells a great story yeah he's yeah. A, he's another one of those kind of journeyman work he's like a a, a, a Clint Eastwood type yeah you know? he's got yeah. that kind of no nonsense yeah that's, he, that's true makes a movie and it's a Damn good movie. He was also nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards for Michael Clayton in 2008, which he also acted in, and for The Reader in 2009. Uh, those were his two last movies. Michael Clayton was the last movie he acted in because he passed away from cancer in 2008. That was a really good movie, too. I loved Michael Clayton. Uh, Clooney was great, but Tom Wilkinson. Oh, my God, Tom Wilkinson. It, he, 
A is an amazing actor, but this is one of the best. Oh my, it's so good. of his career. So good. I I really loved Michael Clayton. It, oh, it was, me too. It was huge. Sidney Pollock was so, Pollock. Sidney <laughs> Pollock was so good in it. So good, and it's 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 small part, but so he's so imminently watchable. Like it, yeah, everything. Yeah, and it was kind of like when he died, man. It was the end of these type of movies yeah. because yeah. they don't make. Michael Clayton movies anymore. Michael Clayton is one of those, I think, that kind of fits into this presumed innocent kind of like... Because there's not really a lot of action, but it's like a lot of people talking and figuring stuff out. Yeah, and it's like, a thinking man's movie. Yes. It's a, it, he discovers the cover-up of, uh, like, agrochemicals or something. Yeah. And then, yeah. You know, and then he's, he's Wilkinson so, is, like, losing his mind because he doesn't so want to cover it. up. Yeah, yeah it's so good. the fixer. Yeah, hmm. it's so good. So you good. haven't seen it, watch it. So good. And uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, oh, my God. The female lead. Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton is oh, so good, good in that yeah. movie. Oh, oh, my God. So sinister. That end scene with them two talking outside the courtroom, Tilda Swinton and George Clooney, is a master class in acting. Oh, my God. And her reaction. So, so brilliant. It, like when she gets when yeah. she gets her come up. It's, yeah. So good. God, oh. it's so good. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the Michael Clayton no. show. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, so Mark Rosenberg, he became vice president for production at Warner Brothers in 1978 at the age of 30. Good Lord. Yeah. Rosenberg was named by Warner Brothers as the president of movie production in July 1983, making him one of the youngest executives to head the film production division of a major motion picture studio at the age of 35. That's insane. That's crazy. He joined Sidney Pollock in 1985 at Mirage Productions, where their first production was the 1988 release Bright Lights, Big City, based on the novel by Jay McInerney. Okay. So, <laughs> that, now, now, did you read that novel? No. No. It was a really good novel. It was, it was the time when uh, Brett Easton Alice, Ellis was really yeah, popular yeah. and all these kind of stories about cocaine kids and, yeah, and yeah. the underbelly of things. And, and so, and God love him. And he's a great actor, but they got Michael J. Fox. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he just wasn't right for the Not part. Not right for the part. The guy yeah. comes with so and, – and God love him. He just comes with so much – he's such a good actor. Yeah, he is. He is. But he – because he's such a good actor, and he's so Alex B. Keaton and so <laughs> yeah. Marty McFly. Yeah, yeah. It was really hard for people to see him in a dramatic role. Right, right. And to, but he did so much good work – after he after his Parkinson's yeah uh, yeah when he his stint on Rescue Me Michael J Fox yeah was so good and uh, oh the the I think it was one or two episodes he was in on Curb Your Enthusiasm yes, yes. so good oh man he's so game <laughs> I love Michael J Fox so funny yeah he's great he's great uh, other films produced at Mirage include Major League the Goofy Baseball movie that's a great fun movie. I love that movie it is it is my guilty pleasure popcorn movie it's you're in a bad mood put it on it's, I yeah. Don't watch sports. Yeah. I played them when I was younger, but yeah. I don't watch sports. Uh, God love you if you do. Sure. But I love sports movies. Oh, yeah. I oh, yeah. Them. And sports comedy movies <laughs> are so great. And this was, there was just this endless string of silly, yeah. unnecessary yeah. roughness. And, <laughs> yeah. All, and these all these baseball comedies. Goofy and sports League movies. And, yeah. And uh, uh, people forget that. Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen was in that. Oh, no. and that well, people or, forget how funny he was. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, not just Major League, but the uh, the oh, Zucker Brothers, great. the the you know the one where he played the Rambo guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Hot shots. Hot shots. Hot yeah, shots. Uh, yes. Yeah. God, he was so funny. well. Even just his small scenes in uh, 
Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller. Like, yeah. he was so great in that. Yeah, it's a shame. He yeah. was so good. He was so good. Uh, so in 1989, Rosenberg and his uh, wife, Paula Weinstein, formed Spring Creek Productions. He met his wife while they were organizing protests at the 1972 Republican National Convention at the event's original plan site in San Diego. Of course they did. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a Hollywood liberal meat cute. I know. I know. It's great. The company had a production agreement with Warner Brothers where they produced the Fabulous, fabulous Baker Boys starring... Brothers Jeff Bridges and Bo Bridges with Michelle Pfeiffer. That's a good movie, and it's it is. very underrated. Yes, it is. It is a little scene movie. I don't know why, because it's done really well. Oh yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer's amazing. The, yeah, the Bridges brothers yeah. are really fun to watch together, and I think that might be one of the only times they ever starred in a movie together. I think there may be one other, but I don't recall. Not where they starred, uh, starred. No, no. I, yeah, they may have appeared and stuff. But it was together, so much but, fun. Yeah. And they also did Flesh and Bone, starring Meg Ryan, Dennis Quaid, and James Caan. You know who else was in that movie, Adam? No. It was Gwyneth Paltrow's first movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it's appropriate now that she's making vagina candles. Yep. That it's called Flesh and Bone. <laughs> Is that how she makes them? No. No, I hope not. Me too. That sounds illegal. Unfortunately, during production of Flesh and Bone, Rosenberg died of heart failure at the age of 44. Oh, God damn. So sad. Yeah. So you better watch out, buddy. Trust me, between this and Annie, <laughs> what's her name from the the one who played Tess in The Last of Us, the oh, yeah. video game. She's oh, 45. God. So like, sad. She was in Bosch, too. Annie, yeah. She was such good. Uh, Picard. She was in Picard. Uh, yeah. Annie Wershing. I'm not yeah. sure how to pronounce her last name. I think name. it's Wershing, but... You, if you don't know her name, you know her face, definitely. She was yeah. a great character actor. She was amazing in The Last of Us video game as Tess. Yeah, yeah. Great on Bosch. She was the Borg Queen in Picard. Yeah. Like, she was so good. I, yeah. 45 is too young, man. You know, too any young. age is too young. Like, <laughs> anything true. under That's 100 true. at this point seems too young. Yeah. So in May of 1987, Pollock hired Frank Pearson to write the script. Uh, Pearson served in the Army during World War II, then graduated from Harvard. He worked as a correspondent for Time and Life magazines before selling his first script to Alcoa Goodyear Theater. He got the his... Alcoa Goodyear Theater the presents... Alcoa Goodyear Theater. Jabune. Uh, I don't think that was it. Yeah, it's called Jabune. <laughs> he got his break in Hollywood in 1958 as script editor for Have Gun, Will Travel. He wrote or co-wrote several successful films, including Cat Ballou in 1970, or 1965. And Cool Hand Luke in 1967, both of which were nominated for Academy Awards. Both great movies. Uh, cool Hand Luke is one of my absolute favorite. Cool Paul Hand Luke Paul Newmy movies. Paul Newmy. I love Paul Newmy. <laughs> me too. Me. Well, I call him Paul Newmy. Is is that your pet name? Yeah. Paul? When we were buds. <laughs> no. Uh, Paul Newman is one of my very favorite actors. Hey, yeah. Hey guys. Oh, oh he's, he's so good. Uh, he was one of my favorite actors. Uh, the guy was a master until he died. His yeah. last movie with Tom Hanks was great. Um, was that the Road to Perdition? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's his Perdition. last movie? I believe so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Either, he, yeah. He was so good in that. Oh, he's good he in everything. Movie, everything. Yeah. But the charm he showed in Cool Hand Luke. Yes. It just, it, it's such a great movie. You can't help but love the guy. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. unlikable about that guy. No, no. He's great. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> Frank Pearson wrote Dog Day Afternoon in 1975, which won him the Academy Award. Great, great movie. Oh, my God. An amazing... Oh, my God. Dog Day Afternoon ah. is brilliant. It It's such a great performance by uh, Al Pacino. Yeah. But an even better performance by John Cazale. Cazale, that's it. Yeah. Uh, an actor that most people probably don't remember. Yeah. yeah. Because he died very young. Yeah. He was uh, Fredo in The Godfather. He was amazing in The Deer Hunter. He was one of the greatest actors 
alongside Al Pacino and De Niro. He was one of that pack. Yeah. Married to Meryl Streep. Uh, Every movie he was in was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. It yeah. was. And and in no <laughs> no short No, no. Uh, he he definitely helped <laughs> those best pictures. He did. And it it he's one of he his death breaks my heart because yeah. he was so young and he had he was so talented and you knew yeah. he had a thousand more amazing performances oh, yeah. to give. Yeah. And also a shout out to Chris Sarandon who played you know one of the first oh, yeah. trans yeah. characters. So good. You know, so the, good the whole that. point. Yeah. Spoiler alert for a 50-year-old movie. Yeah. But the whole point of the robbery this is based on a true story too yeah. by the way. The whole point of this robbery was Al Pacino's character Sonny wanted to get his lover Leon right, right. transition the, surgery. Yeah, yeah. And uh it was just and it was also done in a I mean, it wasn't done in the most politically correct way there is. Sure. But for the time, for it the was time, extremely yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It definitely was. It was a great movie. Absolutely great movie. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. Uh, Frank Pearson also directed and contributed to the screenplay of the 1976 remake of A Star is Born and the infighting between himself, Barbara Streisand, Chris Christopherson, and John Peters, the producer and at the time boyfriend of Streisand, on the film led him to write the article, My Battles with Barbara and John for the Village Voice. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm, look, that's a lot of big personalities. Yes, yes. And... You know, everybody loves Barbara. Yeah. But, you know, she would even say she wasn't the easiest yeah, person no, to she, deal with she, back then. No, no, she admitted it. Yeah, she definitely, she definitely. Uh, shortly after Pollock hired Pearson to write the script, United Artists backed out as a distributor. Uh-oh. Because, you know, why not? Roger Birnbaum, head of worldwide production for United, Art- United Artists, claimed that the studio found the project just too expensive. Yeah, thanks, Roger. So, in July of 1988, the project moved to Warner Brothers. Woohoo! Yeah. Pollock and Rosenberg sent the script to Alan J. Pakula. Pakula was nominated for three Academy Awards, Best Picture for To Kill a Mockingbird in 1962. Oh, my God. To Kill a Mockingbird is probably the greatest adaptation of a book ever, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It is so well done. Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch uh, pretty much caused so many people to go to law school. Yeah, oh yeah, oh and yeah. And so many oh, mothers yeah. to be like, oh, what's your country to just be like Addison <laughs> Beach? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and Robert Duvall's very first movie, playing oh, Boo Yeah, Radley. that's right, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, he was so young. Yeah, yeah. it's so yeah. good. It's crazy. He's so good. Boo. Uh, Pakula was also nominated for Best Director for All the President's Men in 1976. I love that movie so much. Great movie. And the Best Adapted Screenplay for Sophie's Choice in 1982. Yeah, Sophie's Choice is great. Not one that I can watch over and over again, though. No, 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 no. It's a tough choice. Uh, <laughs> Pakula was also notable for directing what he called his Paranoia Trilogy. Clute in 1971, the story of a relationship between a private eye, played by Donald Sutherland, and a call girl, played by Jane Fonda, who won an Oscar for her performance. Oh, gee, have you seen Clute? No, I've never seen Clute. It's amazing. And and really, if, if you ever wondered why people love her oh it's because of clute yeah, because it's yeah. such a crafty performance the nice. prostitute she plays is so layered yeah it's a great movie you should All definitely right. yeah see yeah it. it's classic uh the parallax view in 1974 starring warren Beatty, a labyrinthine post-watergate thriller involving political assassinations oh my god if you want to see the most 70s <laughs> of those like it's so cool like he he plays like a Government agent guy in yeah. this like little office or whatever, and he goes out to lunch, and he comes back, and everybody's dead. Oh God! And he's got to figure it out. <laughs> but it's so seventies, so good. Uh, and all the president's men in nineteen seventy six, based on the best selling account of the Watergate scandal, written by Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, who were played in the movie by Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. Again, 
uh, scores and scores of people became journalists because yes. of this movie. Yes, such a good movie. Pakula felt that it needed improvement and spent a year rewriting the script for Presumed Innocent with Frank Pearson. Hmm. Regarding the screenwriting process, Turo said, There are three large narrative problems to solve. Point of view, getting around the first-person narrative, time sequence. It's all flashback and Hollywood doesn't like that. And then, just an awful lot of plot. <laughs> he, he literally wrote the book. And he's like, yeah, good luck, guys. <laughs> well, I get it, because... There are plot-heavy books that are very hard to yeah. adapt. I mean, no, agreed, and it's not. It is all flashback. Like it, it makes sense. I mean, it is. It would be hard to to do. You As know? a novel, it worked perfectly. Sure, exactly. Pearson originally envisioned the film ad- adaptation as being... A movie full of sex and blood. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Pakula felt that the concept of justice was more central to the story. Well, good. Thank you, Mr. Pakula. Uh, yeah. Uh, he also wanted to present the film in a visual style that echoed the novel's narrative. In making various changes from the novel, Pakula and Pearson added new dialogue and rewrote the ending. Really? I don't know what the original ending was. Yeah, I wish I did, too. Yeah. Pakula signed on to direct the film in January 1989. Well, you, yeah, I think in the book it was unsolved, right? Yeah, they just, they never, they leave the idea of he's guilty or not up in the air. You can do that in a book. Yeah. You can't do that in a movie. People no. lose their mind. No, I, I kind of thought it was going that way, yeah. honestly, oh, yeah. during the movie. And then, and then it was like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, people would, it would be, it would be just trod upon. People would hate it. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right, so casting, uh, Harrison Ford was cast as Rusty Sabich. Sabich? Is that Savage. Savage. Sorry, Savage. Because it always sounds like they kept saying Savage. I kept thinking they were saying Savage. Sandwich. Rusty Savage. Yeah. Rusty Savage. Uh, several established actors were considered for the leading role of Rusty. Kevin Costner turned down the role, and Robert Redford was vetoed by Pollock due to his age. Who? Said Robert Redford. Oh, yeah. He was just too old. That well, point. of course, Pollock was like, Redford was like, oh, hey. you're doing a new movie? Am I, am I in it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although Rod Redford could have been in it. He could have been played any part. I mean... Well, he, Robert Redford at that point didn't do anything that wasn't a no. leading role. Right. Uh, when he was hired to direct the film, Pakula only offered the role to Harrison Ford, believing that the actor possessed an everyman quality that best suited the character. He was right. He was. Ford's- Nobody could play uh, every man named Rosat. Yeah, I K. Know. Savage. Well, even Rusty. Just calling him Rusty. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. The only Rusty I know of in movies was in... National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah. Well, where does Rosat come from? I don't know. I mean, Savage, it sounds like it's Eastern European. So, yeah. well, there's, that's a Harrison Ford for you right yeah, there. There you go. <laughs> Ford's casting was confirmed in March of 1989. He received a $7 million salary for the role. Oh, yeah. Whew. Some cash. Turo was initially uncertain of Ford portraying Rusty, but relented after seeing a few of the actor's films. Yeah, you live in a cave? Who's this uh, Harrison Ford guy? I don't like him. Uh, I've been in law school for a long time. Yeah, I've never heard of him. What's he been in? Yeah. Star Wars? What's that? Star Wars? Indiana Jones? Never heard of it. Nope. Never heard of it. I don't know what action and adventure movies are. (laughs) So Ford said... Friends warned me this was a tough role because Rusty is such a passive interior character. The Rusty's in every scene. All the action takes place around him. Things happen to him. Upon being cast, Ford read the novel to avoid arguments over events and details that were left out in the book. Smart. Yeah, yeah. Ford also suggested to Pakula that Rusty... Pakula, sorry. Ford also suggested to Pakula that Rusty have a buzz cut. He explained... There are many things I could express with that short haircut. Simplest of all, I wanted to tell the audience to... Leave their baggage at home. 
Not to expect the Harrison Ford they've seen before. Yeah, well, it's, it, it was great. I, it's funny because Who I... Who is this buzz cut young <laughs> newcomer? I don't know if I would call what he had in the movie a buzz cut. No. It was short. Yes. It was more <laughs> of a Caesar cut. I was expect, yeah, I was expecting like a Marines-like buzz cut, and it wasn't. No. It really wasn't that different than some of... No. <laughs> no. It was, he, he made it different because he's Harrison Ford. He basically was like, give me the Blade Runner. His... His hair did some of the best acting in the movie. Well, honestly, he does have different kinds of hair for no, he every does. movie. He does. Like Blade Runner was different than Star Wars. And was different hey, than... it's, it's like, was it Gene Kelly or whoever talking about, like, you got to put on their shoes first. That's how you get into the character. Yeah. Maybe for him it's the hair. Maybe. Yeah. Brian Dennehy was cast as Raymond Horgan. Horgan. <laughs> Another great... <laughs> Dennehy has won two Tony Awards, an Olivier Award, and a Golden Globe, and received six Primetime Emmy Award nominations. Oh, I love him so much. Brian Dennehy was such a big, wonderful oh, man. Yes. Oh, the what was the the those special effects? Oh, those yeah. FX yeah. movies he did? Oh, yeah. Those were oh, great. he was so good. He just was so big and likable. It always bothered me. I loved him so much. It always bothered me when he played a bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Because he was one of those guys. Yeah, but I just love him. That you just I don't want to see him bad. With. Yeah, yeah, but he was so good in this movie, playing like a oh yeah, a Trumpy type of politician. Oh, you know, just completely just power hungry. Oh my and, god, yeah. yeah. Then he had roles in over 180 films and in many television and stage productions. He enlisted in the United States Marine Corps, serving from 1958 to 1963, including paying, playing football in Okinawa. Ooh. In several interviews, he described being wounded in combat and repeatedly claimed to have served in Vietnam. His first film role was in 1977 in Richard Brooks's Looking for Mr. Goodbar, which also starred Diane Keaton. Oh, that was such a good movie. See ya? Nope. Oh, boy. Nope. He had a breakthrough role as the asshole sheriff that hates John Rambo in First Blood in 1982. So good, because that role could have just been a cartoonish monster. Right, right. You know. He gave him depth and layers. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he had his own reasons. They right. were wrong. Right. But he had right. them. Right. He made good choices as an actor. Yeah. In 1999, he apologized for misrepresenting his military records, stating... I lied about serving in Vietnam, and I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take away from the actions and the sacrifices of the ones who really did serve there. I did steal valor. That was wrong of me. There is no excuse for that. No, yeah. there is not. I didn't know any of this. Neither did I. I didn't know any of this. At least he um, owned up to it. He did. He did. But stolen and valor, baby. That's like, that's, you know, that's yeah. That's it's like, like that Santos guy sin. stealing grief by saying that his parents were in the Holocaust or, or all of his friends were in. Money from a dying dog. <laughs> or or literally or... everything that comes out of his mouth. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. A lot of stolen Stolen everything. Yeah, it's not it's not cool. Uh then he died on April fifteenth, twenty twenty of cardiac arrest due to sepsis. Oh yeah. he must have been pretty old though. Yeah, yeah. He was in his eighties, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Still, man. God, yeah. what a I just mm. I know, I know. He's a great actor. Raul Julia as Alejandro Sandy Stern. I'm Sandy Stern. <laughs> he's so good in this oh, movie. He's good in everything. It's another one. It's just yeah, like this is just the script is just littered with dead awesome artists. I know. Julia was from San Juan, Puerto Rico, and started his career by acting on Broadway. He was nominated for four Tony Awards over ten years. Julia's first TV role is on Sesame Street as Raphael the Repairman. Yeah, Raffy. Yeah. His first film role was in The Panic in Needle Park in 1971, starring Al Pacino. That was great. Have you seen that? No, I've not seen that. Ooh, heroin. 
I, most of these 70s movies are not. I don't know why. I, you need to do like a 70s week you know, where you just watch some of these old. We're going we're gonna to cover most of these. So, I mean, maybe, you know. Uh, he had a breakthrough film role in Tempest in 1982, loosely based on the Shakespeare play for which he was nominated for a Golden Globe. Not a good movie. Uh, he further cemented his stardom with the lead role in 1985's Kiss the Spider Woman, for which he was nominated for a Golden Globe. That was really good. Again, it was an, one of the first mainstream movies to yeah. have a gay relationship. It was right. he and William Hurt, right. who also passed away last year. Good lord. Yeah, I know. I know. But a uh, really great movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, a, and an amazing stage play, too. Yeah. In 1988, he was nominated for another Golden Globe for his turn in Moon Over Parador, also starring Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus, Moon Over Parador. Uh, in 1990, along with Presumed Innocent, he appeared in four other films. Mac the Knife, written and directed by Manahem Golan. Uh, don't remember. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, Frankenstein Unbound, also starring John Hurt, Bridget Fonda, Jason Patrick, and Nick Brimble. And uh, the most expensive movie ever produced by Roger Corman. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was like one of his kind of mainstream movie tries. Trying to do, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it didn't do too good. <laughs> uh, the Rookie, starring Clint Eastwood and Charlie Sheen, and directed by Clint Eastwood. Oh, I love that movie. Again, I have not seen that in a long time. Neither have I. It's not a great movie, but <laughs> I love, I mean, Charlie Sheen and, yeah. and uh, Clint Eastwood as partners. Oh, it's just so much fun. Uh, he was also in Havana, directed by Sidney Pollack, and starring Robert Redford, Lena Olin, and Alan Arkin. Yeah, it was pretty good. He it's it, another one of those like yeah. slow burn movies yeah. that just, they don't make anymore. Yeah. Uh, in 1991, he starred as Gomez Adams in Barry Sonnenfeld's The Adams Family. He'd also star in the sequel, The Adams Family Values, in 1993. <laughs> yeah. It was great. He was fantastic in that movie. Yeah, he was. Uh, in 1994, he made his final film appearance as M. Bison in the very awful Street Fighter, directed by Die Hard screenwriter Stephen E. D'Souza. Yeah. It always breaks my heart when these great actors go out. Yeah. On a snoozer, like like Orson Welles' last role was the Transformers movie. Oh my God, it's There's so bad. Boy. He wasn't even Optimus Prime. I think. It was no, he was the giant planet that ate everything. I'm a big planet. <laughs> it literally yeah. was like, is hey, this typecasting? Orson, you got kind of fat. Do you want to play a planet? Sounds great. How much does it pay? <laughs> pay me in wine. Yeah, yeah. Wine and peas, uh, frozen peas. Uh, unknown to the public, Julia had suffered from stomach cancer for three years prior to his death and had undergone surgery for it. Yeah, he was so skinny in his last role. I, yeah. It was, well, actually, no. I mean, but he was very skinny when we saw him before he yeah, passed. Yeah, yeah. He just, he looked like he had, you know. It yeah. Just, it was, he was definitely battling. Yeah. Uh, it was very obvious that something was wrong. Uh, in early 1994, during the filming of the burning season in Mexico, he contracted food poisoning after consuming sushi. Who's eating sushi in Mexico? Uh, he was airlifted to a hospital in Los Angeles to receive medical attention. After recovering, he returned to Mexico to finish the film, although he had lost some weight and was physically weakened by his condition. On October 16, 1994, Julia attended the Met Opera in New York. Afterwards, Julia began feeling intense abdominal pain and was taken by ambulance to North Shore University Hospital in Manhasset, Long Island. At first, he did not appear worried about his condition and was seen in his hospital bed reviewing the script for his upcoming role in Desperado, but his condition gradually worsened. Desperado? The... the yeah. The... Um, the Robert Rodriguez movie? Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, on the night of October 20th, 1994, Julia suffered a stroke, fell into a coma, and was put on life support. Four days later, on October 24th, he died at the age of 54 from complications of the stroke, never having regained consciousness. Good Lord, man. So sad, man. Well, he, at least he he went soft, you know? Yeah, I mean, it just, he was such a good actor. 
God. And this is the thing. Him coming on screen during Presumed Innocent, he's so magnetic. Yeah. And so good. Well, he does – the role of a defense attorney, it's really hard in these type of movies not to come off as a slime – because they, yeah. they slime yeah. them. They make them all jerks and slimy. Yeah, because you're, you're defending somebody right. that might be guilty. But – the relationship between he and Ford is so fun and interesting. Yeah. And he imbues the role with a type of integrity that you don't usually see right. in that type right. of performance. Yeah, there's a the great scene where he Ford comes to him after he essentially changed his mind. He's like, but I didn't think you believed this. And Raul Julie's just like, I changed my mind. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> like, I, okay. He's so good. Oh, uh, yeah, he taken way too soon. Bonnie Bedelia was cast as Barbara Savage. Uh, Bedelia was born in Manhattan, the Manhattan borough of New York City, the daughter of Marion Ethel, a writer and editor, and Philip Harley Culkin, who was in public relations and 50 years old at the time. She was born in a difficult financial period when her father's firm went bankrupt and they lived in a... A cold water tenement flat. Her mother died when she was 14 and her father... Who had always had ulcers. Died shortly afterward. Oh, God, God. She has two brothers, one of whom is actor Kit Culkin and a sister, Candace Culkin. She is the aunt of actors Macaulay, Kieran, and Rory Culkin. Wow. Bedelia studied dance in her youth at the School of American Ballet. From 1961 to 1967, Bedelia was a regular on the CBS soap opera Love of Life, portraying Sandy Porter. She also worked on Broadway, where she debuted supporting Patty Duke in 1962 in Isle of Children and won a Theater World Award for playing the lead in My Sweet Charlie in 1966 at the age of 18. Wow, she was uh, doing good. Yeah. Bedelia made her film debut in The Gypsy Moths in 1969, directed by John Frankenheimer. Later that year, she attracted attention as the pregnant marathon dancer in They Shoot Horses, Don't They?, directed by Sidney Pollack. I see a little pattern here. Such a good movie. I, I love that movie so much. She was nominated for a Golden Globe in 1984 for Heart Like a Wheel, playing the first female drag racer. Yeah. Uh, of course, she was in Die Hard and Die Hard 2 as Holly Gennaro, John McClane's estranged wife. Why are you going by Gennaro? <laughs> Bedelia continues to work in film and TV and will be seen in the upcoming The Hill, a sports biopic coming nice. out this year. I'm really glad. She's such a an underrated actress, in my opinion. I don't think she's yeah. gotten the, yeah. the kudos she deserves uh, because she does it so well. Yeah. Even in Die Hard or Die Hard 2, the way she plays his wife isn't oh, just the yeah. – she was given the unceremonious wife of the action guy, yeah, which is usually just a throwaway crap role. thankless part. Yeah, yeah. it's usually a phone call. Like, I'm going to come back to you, honey. Oh, we're she's, always going to die. She's so good. Oh, so good. She gets to punch and she gets she's to – Her scenes, she just commands yeah. every scene she's in. She's amazing. And, this, and in this movie, like I said, this is worth – Two watches, definitely. Yes, yes. Especially after you know what the ending is. Yeah. Just to see how nuanced her performance is. She does more every time they're in court and Raul Julia and Harrison Ford, and she's behind them, but between them, just listening. And she does so much more acting in that part than most actors do in every movie. Oh, yeah. The, the scene where they're going through the testimony and she's sitting there before they go to court. It's yeah. kind of rehearsing everything. Yeah. And Ford's talking about the affair and the sex. And, the, you know, it's just they're just doing it without even really thinking about her being there. And you're right. The look on her face, the reaction she's giving <sighs> so is just good. like. It, uh, so good. Yeah. Uh, she's so great. Paul Winfield was cast as Judge Jaron L. Or Jaron. Wow. <laughs> Paul Winfield was cast as Judge Laren L. Little. 
Uh, Winfield broke a lot of ground with when black actors were not being cast in a lot of roles. Yeah. He first appeared in the 1965 Perry Mason episode, The Case of the Runaway Racer, as Mitch, a race car mechanic. Mitch, Mitch, you're not guilty. <laughs> His first major feature film role was the 1969 film The Lost Man, starring Sidney Poitier. Winfield first became well-known to television audiences when he appeared for several years opposite Diane Carroll on the groundbreaking television series Julia. Mm -hmm. It was filmed during a high point of racial tensions in the United States. The show was unique in featuring a black female as the central character. It aired from 68 to 71. Winfield was nominated for an Academy Award for his role in Sounder in 1972. I don't know if you've ever seen Sounder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good movie. He also starred as Martin Luther King Jr. in the 1978 miniseries King, for which he received an Emmy nomination. Nice. He also received an Emmy nomination for the TV series Roots, The Next Generations, in 1979, uh, the sequel to Roots. Oh. Uh, Winfield was a big fan of the presumed innocent novel and told his agent that if they ever make a movie out of it, he wanted to play the judge. Really? <laughs> when the <laughs> film was announced, he lobbied hard to play the part, and Pakula admired his tenacity and gave him the part. He was awesome. He, you also forget he was in Star Trek II, The Wrath of God. Yes. He had oh, one of the little wormies put into his brain. Oh, that's right. That's right. With Chekhov. <laughs> Winfield's last role was in a TV movie version of the film that earned him an Academy Award nom, Sounder, playing the teacher. Uh, Winfield was in a secret relationship with his partner, architect Charles Gillen Jr., for 30 years. Oh, I mean, this is so sad that he had to hide it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he was gay his entire life, and he he knew that if he came out, it was going to be it was just one more hurdle for him to have to, to pass. Oh, good Lord. Uh, in 2002, Charles Gillen Jr. died from bone cancer. I think he was just tired of breaking new grounds. It's just like, look, I, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've been busting down doors since the 60s. I'm not about to do this again. Uh, Winfield had also fought with his weight and diabetes throughout his life. And in 2004, he died from a heart attack. Ah. Yeah. He was such a good actor. God. He was amazing. I'm just really sad that he had to hide his life for so long. Yeah, it's really, it always is sad that you can't be yourself. I mean, that's you still can't sucks. today. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of really brave actors that come out. And, yeah. but it's still. There, it, there's still some sort yeah. of, you know, stigma of a gay actor playing a straight part. And it's just yeah. silly to me. Yeah. Agreed. So they cast Greta Skaki as Carolyn Polhemus. I have pronounced her name incorrectly my entire life. I I was always Skaki. It was one of the same. It was one of those that I was just like, I have no idea. It's it's Italian. I Yeah. She was born in Italy, but moved to Perth, Australia at the age of 15 when her mother remarried. Uh, she is fluent in English, French, German, and Italian, which made her a popular choice for European casting directors. Yeah, she's brilliant. Oh, she's great. Her first leading role in Heat and Dust in 1983 earned her a BAFTA nomination for Best Newcomer to Film. Good movie. She had just come off performing in a BBC radio drama, The Skull Beneath Her Skin, based on a P.D. James novel before being cast in Presumed Innocent. Mm. Uh, P.D. James wrote Children of Men, the novel Children of Men. Yeah, yeah. which was turned into a very remarkable movie. Uh, ironically, I love the movie Children of Men, and I could not get through the novel. Really? <laughs> it's one of the few novels I've never finished. Interesting. I never I just, tried. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Uh, she continues to act in film and TV, and on stage, she will be seen in Run, Rabbit, Run to be released on Netflix shortly. Excellent. I'm so It's so heartening to me to see actors still working. Yeah, agreed. Good actors. Good actors, yeah. Uh, John Spencer was cast as Detective Dan LePranzer. He oh, looks like a damn detective. That guy just oozes. The fact that the first time they show him, he had that beer belly. Yeah. I was just like, man. Yeah. 
Like he's, I know that's not real, but like it was so like he's just that schlubby detective yeah. guy. Like he's good at his job. So yeah, he, he was, he's great. Spencer began his television career on the Patty Duke Show and eventually began appearing in supporting roles in feature films, commencing with 1983's War Games. These games are about war. He's still playing the game. Uh, Spencer was busy acting on stage as well as taking parts in film and TV. He won an Obie Award for the 1981 off-Broadway production of Still Life about a Vietnam War veteran and received a Drama Desk nomination for The Day room uh, i've not seen either of these yeah oh no i guess they're broadway productions right so, yeah um in 1986 he appeared on broadway as dan white the killer of harvey milk in execution of justice alongside stanley tucci and wesley snipes the tooch no oh, the tooch presumed innocent would be the role that cemented his career in film and tv he's most well known for appearing in 74 episodes of la law and in 135 episodes of The West Wing. Yeah, that's where probably most people know him from. Yeah. Uh, he was nominated for 13 awards for The West Wing, including four, uh, including an Emmy and two SAG awards. Yeah, he's great. Uh, unfortunately, he died from a heart attack in 2005. Good Lord. Harrison Ford and Bobby Bedelia are the only ones that still kicking. Seems like a really long time ago, man. Like, yeah, I does. felt like that was, it was much sooner. I feel like The West Wing was sooner than that. So I, that's, God. That's yeah, just, that is weird. That is weird. I, I... Well, yeah. maybe we're wrong. Yeah. Bradley Whitford was cast as Quentin Jamie Kemp. Ooh, he Why? was also on the show. Again, this is also now, again, Scott Churro. Why are you giving people two separate different names? His nickname's Jamie. His real name's Quentin. That makes no sense. He, he doesn't have a big enough part to have a nickname. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I'm understand. Sorry. Whitford started in TV, appearing in an episode of The Equalizer in 1985 and on a few episodes of All My Children. Oh, did you ever used to watch The Equalizer? Uh, not the original. Oh, so I, 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 I've heard great things. It's something we'll cover. There's a new one, a yeah. new uh, third movie coming with De- Denzel Washington. Well, there's a show, too, with Queen Latifah. Oh, Queen Latifah yeah, show. I haven't yeah. watched it yet, but I'm interested. I love yeah, She's great. Yeah. He made notable appearances in 1987 in Adventures in Babysitting and Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. Yeah, he was one of the jerks. So phenomenal in that movie because he's such a jerk. Oh, he hates the nerds. Uh, I always assumed that's just who he was because he oh. was so convincing in that yes, part. Yes, he was. He's one of those guys that plays a-hole so <laughs> just pristinely that yeah. you... Yeah, I... I after I, I saw I, that movie, I was like, I never want to meet Bradley Whitford. Yeah. He's a big old dude. He's just going to make fun of me. <laughs> That's all he's going to do. You're a yeah. nerd. Uh, Whitford has had a remarkable career, appearing in a number of TV shows and films. His role in The West Wing garnered him three Emmy nominations, winning once, six SAG Award nominations, winning twice, and three Golden Globe noms. Yeah, he was great on that show. He would be nominated twice by the Emmys for his role in Transparent, winning once, and three Emmy noms for his role in The Handmaid's Tale. Have you once. watched that? I no. haven't watched that yet. I thought you had. No, I no, haven't watched it yet. I, I haven't watched either of those shows. I've heard they're great. And yeah, I haven't watched either. I Handmaid, Handmaid's Tale just sounds a little too close to reality. <laughs> it wasn't when it started. <laughs> I Yeah. I've read the book. Yeah. I read too. the book. I really uh, like, what's her name? Uh, Margaret Atwood. Margaret Atwood. There's She's another book of hers. Phenomenal. Yeah. If you can read the Oryx and Crake series, yes, highly yes, recommend it. 100%. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so she is good. so good. Uh, Whitford can most recently be seen in the film Rosaline and in the TV shows We Baby Bears doing VO and in Echo 3, a black ops action thriller series. I think that's on Apple. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, the film also stars Christine Easterbrook, Jesse Bradford, Michael Tolan, and Jeffrey Wright in his first film role. Oh, yeah, Jeffrey Wright and Jesse uh, Bradford, too. Jesse Bradford is the son. I knew he was Jesse. It's funny. I you're was watching so, that. And yeah. I'm like, is that Jesse Bradford? That is Jesse Bradford. Yeah. 
Uh, I looked for Jeffrey Wright. I could not. I didn't see him in this movie. So it's a very short blink and you miss it. Yes. Like, I, yeah. But it, it's his first film. So it wasn't long after this that he did Basquiat, which kind of put him yeah, on the map. Yeah. It was, it was just a couple years. 92, yeah. maybe? 91, 92? 93? Yeah, 92. I, I Early think. nines. Uh, Pakula spent three weeks rehearsing with the actors before principal photography commenced on July 31st, 1989, with a budget of $20 million. Oh, it's quaint. Yeah, I know. Well, $7 million of it went to Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so really, the budget was $13 million, but yeah. Filming began in Detroit, where the production first filmed exterior scenes. After filming in Detroit ended on August 9th, 1989, the production moved to Kaufman Astoria Studios in Queens, New York. The filmmakers constructed a courtroom modeled after one in Cleveland, Ohio, that was unavailable for filming. The production then moved to Newark in Allendale in New Jersey. Literally, it's supposed to be set in Chicago, Chicago. and not shot in Chicago at all. No, but that's it's it's got a very Chicago vibe to it. It does. It does. Uh, in total, they shot for 86 days. Presumed Innocent grossed over $86 million during its North American theatrical run. Coupled with its international take of $135 million, it accumulated over $221 million in worldwide box office totals. Well, that's impressive for a courtroom drama. Exactly. In North courtroom thriller. Courtroom thriller, yeah. In North America, it was the 12th highest grossing film of 1990 and the 4th highest grossing R-rated film released that year. Yeah, it's tough to get that big. Yeah. Not only was it... A slow burn yeah. courtroom drama thriller. It was also R rated, so it yeah. had a bunch of it's strikes a, against it. That's an it uphill climb. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Worldwide, it was the eighth highest grossing film of 1990, as well as Wonder Brothers' highest grossing film that year. Yeah. The film was well received by critics. Uh, Presumed Innocent received several nominations, with particular recognition for its screenplay by Alan J. Pakula and. Frank Pearson. It was a great scream. Scream? It was a, it was a great scream. It was a great screenplay. The film received an Edgar Allan Poe Award nomination for Best Motion Picture and a USC Scripture Award nomination for Pakula, Pearson, and the novel by Turo. Nice. Presumed Innocent was followed by a two-part television miniseries, The Burden of Proof, in 1992. Oh, I remember that. It was based on Turo's 1990 novel sequel. The miniseries focuses on defense attorney Sandy Stern, at this time played by Hector Elizondo who investigates his wife's past following her apparent suicide. Brian Dennehy appeared in a separate role as Stern's brother-in-law, not as Horgan. Horgan! <laughs> the first chapter of the miniseries aired on the ABC network on February 9th, 1992, with the second part airing the following night. It's a really good book. I, I had a period of time where I was really into courtroom thrillers. Like oh, I yeah. read all of Grisham's books. Oh, I read yeah. all of Tarot's yeah. books. And I really like Tarot. Grisham is an easy read. Yeah. You know, he's kind of like uh, James Patterson. Yeah. James Patterson is... Like the easiest read on yeah, the planet. Yeah. Like if you can barely read, <laughs> you'll read his books. It's like his chapters are like one to two pages. Uh, I love his books. I will say easier to read Dan Brown, but <laughs> I don't know. I've read his books too. I would. I'd say uh, he doesn't. He has a lot more information. All right. All right. Than, <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway. anyway. Um, they're not bad. No. They're no, just, no. They're just. They're, they're quick. Easy. They're great beach yeah. reads. Great yeah. plane reads. It's fun. It's pulp. It's yeah, fun. Yeah. 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 But Tarot, you know, he was a really, he's a really good writer. Like yeah. His books yeah. were really well done. 
A television sequel, Innocent, in 2011, was based on Turo's 2010 sequel novel, To Presumed Innocent. Set 20 years after the events of the 1990 film, the story follows Rusty Savage, played by Bill Pullman, who is charged with the murder of his wife, Barbara, played by Marsha Gay Harden. Innocent? I was going to say interesting, but I said innocent. Innocent. <laughs> uh, innocent aired on TNT on November 30th, 2011, as part of the network's Mystery Movie Night, a collection of six made-for-television films based on best-selling novels. Ah, cool. I'd really like to see that. I, I love Bill yeah, Pullman I, and Marsha Gay Harden. I, yes, they're both fantastic. So, like, I'm curious, and plus, it's it's interesting because it is a direct sequel yeah. to, to the to the movie. I didn't. So. I don't know if it was based on a book. I didn't read the book. If it was, um, it is. Yeah, it, it is. Based it on is. A novel. Yeah, but it's it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, on February 3rd, 2022, it was announced that Apple TV Plus had ordered an eight-part limited series based on the film, which is being developed by David E. Kelly and J.J. Abrams, with Kelly serving sh- serving as showrunner, executive producer, and writer. Sure, I. David E. Kelly's fine. And so I, is J.J. Abrams. Yeah. You know, I, I, it, it, my only problem is Apple TV misses the mark, man. Like, there's a few shows that yeah. I really liked on there. Yeah. But there's some stuff that just feels weird, and it, I don't know how to put my finger on it. Yeah. But it just doesn't click. Like, the Blackbird or whatever, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the one I've enjoyed the most, but, like... I, I was a huge fan of Severance. And Severance, yes. Severance, yeah. Yes. Those two. Uh, but stuff like uh, Mythic Quest and, yeah. and, and and there was something else. What did you watch? You liked Ted Lasso, didn't you? Ted Lasso's great. Yeah. yeah. It, and, and, and the new Harrison Ford. Speaking of Harrison Ford. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just got to tell this real quick. So we watched Presume Innocent. Mm-hmm. Harrison Ford in the prime, baby. Probably 40s, <laughs> early 50s at this point. Yeah. Uh, looking good in yeah. the prime of his time. And then I watched... Uh, shrinking, yeah, which yeah. I really enjoyed with uh, Jason Siegel. Jason Siegel yeah. and Harrison Ford. It's like watching his grandpa. <laughs> I mean, he is so. Look, I if I make it to eighty, yeah. I hope I look as great as he sure, does because sure. he looks amazing. But still, it was shocking. <laughs> it was... <laughs> that that huge jump. Yeah, yes. don't watch them one after the other. No, it is, it'll remind you how how much time has passed. God, it made me feel old. On December 7th, 2022, it was revealed that Jake Gyllenhaal came on board as one of the executive producers and will also play the lead role of Rusty Savage. All right. I get it. And uh, Ruth Nega will star as Barbara, the wife of Rusty. Excellent. Yeah. I'm, I'm in. Ruth, Ruth Nega, I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I, he's one of those actors that I'll watch him do anything. Yeah. And he's done some bad movies. Sure, but he's always interesting. But he's so fascinating. The, one of the things I love about him is he's game. That... Uh, the, the the kids show yes. that John Mulaney did. I love that show. It was this weird kind of one-off thing. No idea Jake Gyllenhaal was in that. No. And oh my God, it's one of the best things he's ever done. He is so underrated as a comedy performer. Yes. And yes. I think deep down, that's really what he wants to yeah. do. I, I, yeah. I've read articles where he's like, I just want to have fun now. Yes. I, I, yes. I used to torture myself as a young yeah. man, as an actor. And it's like, you don't need Why? to do that. Yeah. And he is so just, it, his talent infuriates me <laughs> because he's so good looking yeah. and so talented. He's still so young looking. And I hate when guys that good looking and talented are so good at comedy. Yeah. Because that's for us goofballs. Yeah, that's for us on, normal man. looking people. <laughs> Can we have one thing, Jake Gyllenhaal? No, he's so good. I uh, love so him. And his I, sister too, Maggie. Based The fact that this is based off of the source material yeah. and that it's an eight hour miniseries 
that it's going to be just a miniseries. Sure. It's Jake Gyllenhaal. It's Ruth Nega. I and, and I I do like David E. Kelly. Like yeah. he's done some stuff I really liked. Same. And and J.J. Abrams too. So like I'm curious. To, it seems like they're setting themselves up for success. That's the thing, though. That's what is baffling about Apple TV. I know. Is you know. see these things announced, like all of these movies with uh, America's dad. Uh, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Yeah. They're all horrible. Yeah, yeah. He did a movie with a robot. It's yeah. barely watchable. It's just like, there's, <sighs> I, I just don't understand. I, I, this is what, this is the problem. If you just throw money at talented people without any sort of yeah, like strings of, attached, oversight, I guess. Yeah. yeah, oversight. Thank yeah. you. Then, then you just get something that is. It, it, it's just kind of bland and garbage. Or it's just over, they don't. It's just oversaturated, or they yeah. just don't know how to whatever. I don't know what it is about some of the Apple TV stuff. I, I've been I've been listening to the Last of Us podcast with Greg Mazin and Craig Mazin and uh, and um, Neil Druckmann, Druckmann. Yeah. and they release them after every episode, and and it's been great because it's just fascinating. I did they did the same thing with Chernobyl, and Craig nice. Mazin is fascinating. He's yeah. so open about his thing. He said something very interesting that I think is relevant to this: is that HBO works as the audience mm-hmm. the executive producers the hbo producers are the audience and they always will be like we have the audience in mind yeah and i don't think apple tv plus does that i don't think they they think about okay well how do we make this better from an audience perspective i just don't think they're involved i just that's think probably apple true. TV's like jj abrams true. go make this right but this Deliver is why this is why hbo has consistently good material right because they're constantly like what is good for our subscribers exactly the model of just being a gigantic trillion dollar company and throwing money at yeah. artists it, it without any sort of mod, i don't know without any sort yeah. of plan i guess yeah. or any sort yeah. of like you know it's the, almost that, yeah like they don't have a business plan sure, it's, <laughs> it's just, just like, like we'll do whatever we'll, we'll do them here's 40 million dollars make something it seems like they just want to keep remaking Harrison Ford movies as miniseries <laughs> whether it's the mosquito coast or presumably yeah, that's Innocent. true i that's mean true. Are, are they going to be doing uh Blade Runner soon, uh, or Witness and Hanover Street, and and the Frisco Kid. They're going to oh, do all of them, baby. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I got. That's all I got for this. Highly recommend this movie. Oh yeah. If I, you like courtroom thrillers, if you like those old eighties and seventies, just slow burn, twisty, turny, like just amazing. Oh, get yeah. yourself a glass of scotch and pretend you're an adult. And watch this movie. You're going to have a great time. This movie, I wouldn't even say do a double feature. I would say no, do this one on no. your own. Yeah. Open up a nice bottle of wine. Yes. Maybe make you and, and whomever a make nice, your, yeah. uh, like, classy meal. Yeah. You know, we're not talking yeah. pizza and tacos this time. We want no, some no. Maybe, maybe a steak or... Do some uh, duck with an au jus sauce. Sure. Even though it's disgusting, maybe salmon. But, uh, <laughs> and a Definitely nice salmon. It's so good. A nice yeah. Pinot Noir. Yeah. And just wrap yourself in this movie like a warm blanket and get sucked into a really, really fun yeah. plot. 33 years later, it, it left me guessing until the last two minutes. And that's rare, man. You're very good. You, like me, are a student yeah. Of film, yes, and it's pretty easy to figure this stuff out most of the time. Like, yeah, uh, there's something I watched recently. Uh, I watched They Them. Oh, okay, the, okay, yeah. The, it was it was Kevin decent. Bacon, yeah, yeah, Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. It was like at a, a gay conversion camp therapy mm-hmm. horror movie, whatever. But I knew who the killer was within the first five minutes of that movie. Yeah, yeah, and I was right. Yeah, and and I and and. 
I enjoyed the performances. I enjoyed the movie. But it was also like, well, I'm now I'm just waiting for the reveal. That was uh, Jordan Peele's first movie. This was the same issue I had with Get Out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and granted, I saw it after, but I didn't know anything about it. Right. But within the first 20 minutes of the movie, I figured out what the conceit was. Yeah, me and too. And I was like, okay. And it was fine. The movie was great. Yeah, because it... They, uh, but I just kept waiting for that shoe to drop. Sure. I would think the difference with this movie is I don't think that the reveal as is, is as important... Right, because the right. whole movie, yeah, yeah, has its sure, own thing sure. going on. But that, but I, but the whole movie, I just kept watching and going, oh, yeah, there, that's more evidence supporting my theory. That's yeah. a, that's more okay. And then it was, and I was like, all right, that's probably the, why. In Nope, he was just like, f you, I'm not even going to tell you what that <laughs> thing is. <laughs> but in, I will say, in Presumed Innocent, I was convinced it was Brian Dennehy. Oh yeah, I was convinced. Well, they do a really good job of pointing it his way without being super ham fisted about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, but, oh, it's so good. God, it's such a good movie. I I kind of wanted it to be Harrison Ford. Like I t- by the end of it, I did too. I, I was like, oh, he got away with it. There's another uh, departure for him. What lies beneath? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Zemeckis movie. Zemeckis, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is kind of a Hitchcockian type oh, it's such throwback. A yeah, but it's one where he he does play the bad guy. Yeah, and I just it's hard for people. It's like kind of like Clint Eastwood talking about the losers thing. And, yeah. and, you know, it's like hard for his audience to see it. I think it's hard for his audiences to see him as a villain. But yeah, as yeah. as Harrison Ford's biggest fan, <laughs> I, I, I'm the president of 18 different fan clubs. Right. Wow. It's, it's wow. exhausting. Yeah. Just all it's of the literally mailers. 23 hours a day. It's all through the mail. It's not online. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> wow. But, you know, as his favorite actor... Uh, yeah, as his favorite actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, it's, He's we're, told it's, me that. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's a mutual admiration society. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have you seen that James Esham? You know, I came across one of your little shorts online. <laughs> I got to say, you're my favorite actor. Uh, but as my favorite actor yeah. of all time, I want to see him do more villain roles. Yeah. He is still killing it. 1923. Yeah. Yeah. Is he and Helen Mirren are amazing together. Yeah. And he is so good on the show. And this show is really, really good. Deep. Oh, yeah. Much better than I thought it would be. And then, conversely, shrinking, he's funny. Oh, he's yeah. He's personable. It's just, the guy is so good. What's really funny is listening to Jason Siegel talk about, you know, he, he's a huge fan, you know, Harrison right, Ford. Right, right. He's like me. With yeah, Harrison yeah, Ford, yeah. You know, of if, course. But a, a successful guy actually gets to work with him. And, uh, and he was like, the greatest thing about him is he, the first thing he does is cuts through the awe. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's like, I'm Harrison. Yeah. Get it out of your system. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you need to do. Yeah, and yeah. Then, you know, then we're peers. And let's yeah. just, you know, and yeah. it's like, it made me so jealous listening to Siegel talk about him because he's like, <laughs> yeah, I came to the set and he's waiting by my trailer and he's like, hey, kid, you want to run lines? And it's like, just thinking that Harris Ford's waiting for you in the morning. <laughs> That's amazing. Wants to run lines. And it's like, oh, and another thing. So Jason Siegel's a weirdo, of course. Yeah. A lovable, awesome weirdo. I love him. Yeah, yeah. But he came to, <laughs> he came to set one day in a jumpsuit. Then, oh, this is the story. Okay. So he comes to... to, to he decides he's going to wear a jumpsuit, you mm-hmm. know, like, a, like a coveralls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... This is something why I love him, because I've always said, I want to just start wearing coveralls. Sure. I want to get velour coveralls, and that's what I want to wear. Okay. Or uh, satin. Yeah. Or uh, what's that other? Velvet. Velvet. Okay. Those are my three <laughs> okay. choices. But he decides 
Siegel decides he's it's not Seagal, not Steven Seagal, but no. George Siegel. George Siegel? <laughs> no. Good Lord. Nope. Jason Siegel. Jason. I got to stop drinking Red Bulls. Uh, so Jason Siegel decides he's going to wear a jumpsuit. He's a little nervous about it, so he decides he's going to go to set early before anybody get comfortable in it. Sure, sure. But when he gets there, <laughs> Harrison Ford's there earlier than him, waiting by his trailer. Of course. Hey, kids, yeah. you want to run lines? Hey, kid, you want to run lines? So they're sitting there, and, and he's eyeballing him, and he's looking at the jumpsuit. He didn't really say anything. The next day, he shows up in a hot pink jumpsuit, Harrison Ford, <laughs> and they're jumpsuit buddies, and there's a picture uh, of them in their jumpsuit. Nice, and, and, nice. The, and Harrison Ford's doing this, you know, total performance pose. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, God, he's man. such a good dude. I, my f- absolute favorite thing, Harrison Ford, is the picture of him punching Ryan Gosling from Blade Runner 2047 <laughs> and the realization that he's actually punched him. It is the most brilliant photo and the most real. Like, it's so good. He does that a lot. He, there was a, uh, another movie he did with, uh, he did that movie with Paul, that a very forgettable movie with Paul Bettany where he was like a, I think he shaved his head and he was like a tech mogul or something. Yeah, that sounds familiar. But and yeah. uh, but I think either he punched Paul Bettany or Paul Bettany like accidentally threw him through a window or something. Oh God! But the dude when he was on the the, the newest Star Wars movie, yeah, J.J. Abrams crushed his leg under the yeah. Millennium Falcon, almost killed him. The guy he is gets like hurt all the time. Oh my God! It's just he's he's crashed planes. He's crashed helicopters. Uh, helicopters, yeah. The guy is indestructible. He is. When he goes, man, it's gonna be sad. Man. I, I, it's gonna, it's gonna be the worst for me because it's, it's gonna like be, it's gonna be a week of darkness. Yeah, a week. Oh Lord. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll be back next week. We're gonna do our stepdad show next week. Oh yeah, um, and it's gonna be fun. We'll Changing talk it up. Talk more about Harrison Ford and how much we love him. Oh baby. Uh, yeah. It's just again, watch this movie. Uh, it's a different performance for him. It's just uh, harkens back to a type of movie that isn't made anymore. And you're going to love it. Yeah. See you next week. Or listen next week. You're going to see us. Jesus. You know whose first movie that was? No. Whose first movie was that? I don't think you know either. I do. <laughs> the one that does all the vagina stuff now, the vagina candle, and she was in oh, Iron Man. Oh, um, Gwyneth Paltrow. You know who else was in that movie, Adam? No. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Taxi, already in progress.